I'll just stay on my toes. Yeah, there you go. Sharpen your toes a little. That's a new, that's a new saying for you. It's the Doom to Fail podcast, and I am your left-hand man, Tim Dobbs, and with me as ever, through the witchcraft that is the internet, is the lady whose name must not be spoken, Catherine Kogert. So good to be here. <laughs> hey, Catherine. Hey. Um, so, as regular listeners of the Doom to Fail podcast know, we like to sort of roll through a bunch of different mini-series, and we alternate every week, and we try something new every time except when we're that wasn't clear um basically we have a bunch of mini series and we do a different one each week so this week is entry two in one of our favorite series they're all our favorites u.s cities the heart of america's in u.s cities and this week we are talking about the twin cities minneapolis st paul two for one Exactly. This is, a, this is a huge bonus for all of you listeners out there. Uh, you don't get deals like this from Radio Lab or from uh, This American Life. No, you get I... much better ones. <laughs> That's quality. We are offering you quantity. You can't turn that down. All right, so let's not waste any time. Let's let's jump right in. Uh Catherine, why are we talking about Minneapolis-St. Paul as our, this is our second city, and uh, as we know, the second city is Chicago, so why aren't we doing Chicago? What's up? Well, I think, I think we're doing Minneapolis because you were visited there in the past few months, and you decided that that it was very cool, Um, (laughs) along with uh, Kiplinger, who ranked Minneapolis-St. Paul as number two in the list of cool cities for young professionals. So, I mean, you and I were both from coasts, you're you call yourself from the East Coast. I am. What? <laughs> you live on the West Coast now. Yes, but I'm from the East Coast. Okay, fine. <laughs> I got a lot of pride. I'm a prideful man, Catherine. I mean, well, I, the thing is, is that we're both from the coast. And I guess, I mean, I know I learned that Minneapolis was cool and I was just downright shocked because I didn't think there was anything worth stopping in the flyovers. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of those people who uses flyovers, not ironically, at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, the story from Erin Anderson, however, is I should preface this with saying that I've never met her. Um, but she's a community organizer working in Boston, uh, intercultural youth and family development. And um, she recently completed a year in AmeriCorps, uh, and her service was in Minneapolis. And uh, she has a lot to say. Yeah, she does. I uh, I spoke with her recently, and she told me that the reason she chose to serve in Minneapolis in the first place is uh, she actually had some family there, and she was hoping it would sort of serve as like a, a social safety net. I moved there, and a lot of my family was kind of like out, just outside of the city in the suburbs around that area. And it was interesting because what I was like kind of looking for within my family, I kind of found within this kind of people that lived within the community. I lived on the south side. I lived over off of. 38th Street, um, and I lived in a house there, and I shared it with um, two guys, one guy's girlfriend that had kind of lived there, and they kind of came from, like, this punk rock, like, urban exploring scene, um, so 
lots of like spikes and fossils and rocks and stuff kind of were had taken and plants had kind of taken over the house and he was kind of obsessed with the he's about 35 and he was kind of obsessed with you know the 70s green like the avocado green so all the bowls and cups and <laughs> everything in the house kind of was it was kind of like this like natural like slash industrial um 70s like time warp Jumping in here just for a second, I asked Aaron what that was like in comparison to sort of the neighborhood in general. The thing is, like, with the neighborhood, I would always, like, I would tell my family, like, where are you living? I live in Austin City, in Chicago. And there were spots that were, like, rough spots. Um, But at the same time, I think people, once they kind of got into the community and started having conversations with people, and even not just walking around, like, everyone was so friendly like constantly friendly like knew your name and really tried and I think you just had I just had to have kind of an awareness there's this liquor store that's on the corner that was called Chicago Lake Liquors everyone's like oh liquor store but the thing is like it was if you went there on like a Saturday it was like going to church like you could just look around and like observe people and everyone kind of knew everybody like from like a long time ago Hey, how are you? How so and so? Like, how's your dad doing? Um, you know, I haven't seen him for a while. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. And every single time I would come in there, you know, they would be so like helpful. Everyone would talk to you. It wasn't like in other parts of like the city or other big cities where I've been, where you know, you sit on the subway and like in Boston, like no one speaks. Oh yeah. No one talks. And I didn't have a car, so I biked everywhere, you know, and everyone was always like, hey, you know, would like yell at me, like, as I was like riding down the street and it's like, you know, out of the movie where you're like waving to everybody like, hey, so-and-so, hey, you know, (laughs) (laughs) kind of like by the end of it. But like, um, I think my, one of my favorite guys that lived in Minneapolis with me was this guy named Jimmy. He lived in the apartments like across the street from me and he had like a, like a, lawn and snow removal company so throughout like the course of the winter we would always because we got so many storms last year and jimmy would always be out with his snowblower like helping people like with no questions asked all of a sudden like i'd wake up in the morning and get ready to like go outside and make shovel and he had would be out there like snowballing and like be almost done and we would just always chat it up like just talk about like his family and mississippi and his sister and talked about how much that he loved like the Twin Cities and just the caliber of the people that he had met and you know he's just a good man and I just I think it's just there's just a good kind of stewardship I think if you really engage with people. Aaron Anderson everybody yay yay okay and uh ooh that stopped quickly (laughs) (laughs) and um pretty cool right? Very cool. Yeah it's it's not just uh I think what you told me when I suggested Minneapolis was like, really? It's snow and cold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I think of. Well, anyway. Uh, but you may have noticed, listeners, that we've been talking about Minneapolis when we sort of claimed we were talking about the Twin Cities. And uh, that's kind of our fault because we're here to talk about both Minneapolis and St. Paul. But uh, we're probably just going to talk mostly about Minneapolis <laughs> because it's a flashier city. There's just... Um, Whatever, we're brought in by the glitz and lights of the big city. I mean, as coastal elites, we're kind of like crows <laughs> in that we're attracted to shiny things. Isn't that, that's magpies, right? 
Isn't a magpie like in the family of crow? Yes, they're all grackles. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's do a podcast on grackles. We can. We'll interview my mom. <laughs> this is an excellent idea. <laughs> She's really interested. Her her uh her email for years was super grackle. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's wonderful. No joke. A final side note before we jump right in. Uh, the thing, as you may have noticed that we've mentioned a couple times, is we are just not from Minneapolis-St. Paul. We don't have a lot of experience with it. I was there for a week fairly recently, but that's about it. Uh, we're going to miss a lot. So you I folks mean, with... I've never been there. There you go. You folks with more to say about the uh, the Twin Cities region, you know, we, we certainly welcome your emails so long as they are not mean because we're very sensitive. Yeah. And I just can't handle this in my life right now. I, I cry nightly already, so I don't need any more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we have that in common. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you ready to jump in? Let's jump in. Act 1, Geography, where it's at. Where Where is this, Catherine? Where the heck is this city? I don't know how to get to it. Well, you've told me here on your outline that it's 400 miles northwest of Chicago, and it's very flat. Yeah, the last city we talked about was San Francisco, which is mountainous and crazy and there's all this geography. Honestly, the Twin Cities are just kind of flat. There's not no mountains, nothing like that. But what's intriguing about them, a city is always in a place for a reason. And uh, one reason that Minneapolis-St. Paul is where it is, is that it is at the headwaters of the mighty Mississippi River. Specifically, uh, St. Anthony Falls. Which, although it may surprise you, are the only natural falls on the entire upper Mississippi. So the entire northern half of Mississippi, this is the only natural falls of any size whatsoever. I don't, I don't find that surprising. You don't think that's surprising? No. Why? It's supposed it's flat in that region of the country, right? You so, can't just shrug. <laughs> That's I, not your answer. I then proceeded to explain why. Okay, okay. Because I know that everyone at home couldn't see me shrug. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what's really crazy, uh, as I keep looking up the height of these falls, because they are a big deal, uh, and we'll find out later that they really matter to the economics of the region, but. What's crazy about them is that the height just keeps changing. I don't know. I looked up heights from like, you know, the past, you know, 100, 150 years, ever since there's been documentation. And it really does just keep shifting because they put dams in and then, I don't know, erosion happens. I, I can't figure it out. But they're kind of high. <laughs> um, and of course, I mean, this is the land of lakes. So there's obviously going to be a lot of lakes. Um... Absolutely. <laughs> Because the area is on a thick slab of sandstone and limestone, and erodes fairly easily, so there's kind of time. So there's a lot of opportunity for lakes to form. At least that's what Tim thinks. Yeah, that's my my little pet theory is that uh, sandstone and limestone. Well, that's easily eroded stone, and so that makes sense why when glaciers came in, you got a lot of lakes and caves, a lot of caves in the area, which is interesting. Caves are great. But. Uh, you may remember on the San Francisco podcast that we talked about geography for, oh, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, uh, but there's not that much geography here. So I think we're kind of done. It's at the headwaters of the Mississippi and uh, a lot of lakes and the falls. The falls are important. <laughs> Want to hit up act two? Oh, yeah. Act two, history, economics, the built environment. Hooray! 
We mentioned this, uh, we alluded to this earlier, um, but the, the, the economics and the history and all of this is really strongly connected to the Mississippi River. Now, St. Paul was an area that was occupied by the Native Americans for, you know, a really long time, uh, going back, back, back. Uh, and it's probably there just because it's uh, the most upstream boat landing before the falls. So if you're going up the Mississippi... Uh, it's the last place where it's really easy to land your boat before the uh, you get to the waterfalls, which I don't know about you, but I can't paddle a boat up waterfall. I, you know, I've tried and I fail every time. At least you try. You got to get out there. Like That's that. good. Good hustle. <laughs> um, so after the Native Americans were there for a long time, of course, the story of the U.S. is um, the, <laughs> the United States, you know, people of European descent come in and take over. And the same old thing happened. Uh... And the U.S. built Fort Snelling there in 1819. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the village that grew up around that area was actually called Pig's Eye, which is a great name. I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, I couldn't then, think of a better name for settling or 1800s Minneapolis. I think that's yeah. great. Pig's Eye. Um, and it's named after, actually, Pierre Pigsai Courant, who was a French-Canadian fur trader who, apparently, the authorities hated, but, uh, whatever. But he ran a local tavern. Did they hate him because he kept harvesting pig's eyes and then putting them into his own empty socket? <laughs> That's gross! <laughs> what? What's the only uh, thing I could think of to explain yeah. to you? <laughs> I have no idea why he's called pig's eye, now that you mention it. Well, this is the story that I'm going to tell everyone and it's going to be a blatant lie yeah let's let's go with that uh anyone with better guesses please write in to uh doom to fail podcast at gmail.com in 1841 so that's uh eh, something on the order of 20 years later uh a no fun priest suggested that they change the name to saint paul because uh he was a holy man and probably hated pig's eye parent and wanted the name different <laughs> And he got away with it. So it's called. it was called St. Paul instead. Fifteen years after St. Paul got its new name, uh, the Minnesota Territorial Council gave permission to settle Minneapolis, which was across the river and a little upstream from St. Paul, at the falls. So this was 1856. And M Minneapolis would grow up around St. Anthony Falls, like as we talked about, and the hydroelectric power that was available from it. The, you know, they would just, they put a lot of mills there, basically, because you could just power a water wheel and get whatever power you want out of the deal. These falls are so important, and historically, that they're actually on the National Register of Historic Places, which is, uh, 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 uh kind of interesting. Aren't there haunted houses on that National Register? Isn't that are there? part of the criteria? I'm forgetting. To, on to the be National haunted? Register. <laughs> <laughs> It's the National Register of Historic slash Haunted Places. <laughs> I could buy that. Yeah. But, so as we talked about, the power ran uh, all the mills, including flour mills, which would turn out to be really important, and also sawmills. So you could get all your lumber, and it was super easy. All right, let's put some pieces together. The Great Plains, right there, right? So west of the Mississippi, we're really hitting the Great Plains. Now, they harvest all this grain. It's so much. And they need a place to mill it because when you 
just cut down wheat. Well, what good is it? I've never eaten wheat that's just wheat. Yeah, you got to grind it up. Can you? (laughs) Yeah. So you got to mill it. What better place to do it than at the hydropower in Minneapolis? I'm going to read you a quote from Scott F. Anfinson. Uh, That's a very Minnesota name, Anfinson. It's very Scandinavian. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, So this is Scott F. Anfinson of the Minnesota Historical Society. Minneapolis was the greatest direct drive water power center the world has ever seen. It led the world in flower production for half a century. It was here that the only major waterfall in the entire Mississippi once thundered unfettered by human engineering. It was here that the lumber to help build Fort Snelling was sawn at Minnesota's first sawmill. The first flower produced in Minnesota was ground by the water power of St. Anthony Falls. The first bridge built across the Mississippi River was built here. Here is the home of Pillsbury and General Mills. It's a big deal. It really is. Pillsbury and General Mills are huge. It's so romantic, but I don't care about Pillsbury and General Mills. But but the thing is, you should. Okay, well, I mean, well I not, you you don't have to. I'm, I'm not I'm not telling you to like be super invested in it, but it does affect your day, your everyday life. I mean, General Mills is a huge miller, and as far as cereal, I mean, what is it? Kellogg's and General Mills, right? Sure. Who are the big cereal makers? And then Pillsbury produced, I don't know how much flour during uh, the 20th century, but uh, uh, loads. I, I think I buy gold medal flour usually, or yeah, maybe the store brand. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, gold medal might be there too. I think it is actually. I think gold medal is also in Minneapolis. So now we've milled all this grain. Well, it has to go somewhere. But the thing about Minneapolis is uh, it's actually in a pretty good place for that as well. So you got two options, right, for sending off your your grain now. One is, remember, we're on the Mississippi River. So you send it down the river. That's the traditional way. Any place where there's water, you throw it on a boat, easy transportation, no complaints. Now, this helps a little, but where are you sending it? As I often remind you, as an East Coaster, everything is back East, especially in the 1800s. Well, in those days. (laughs) Still, everything that's good is back there. Um, You can go to hell. (laughs) Ah, that is delightful. (laughs) Everything is back east. Chicago, New York, Philadelphia. There basically is no country when you go west. I mean, it's U.S. territory, but Minneapolis was just settled, let alone anything west there. So you can't go south because there's just not that much there. There's a port in New Orleans, blah, blah, blah. It's it's not helping you. So you want to send everything back east. And as it happens, through a twist of uh, just geographical fate, this is the only place where the Mississippi is narrow enough for 19th century bridge building technology. Other than that, you gotta take a ferry. So normally, it's 19th century, you wanna transport things either by rail or by water. So if you're trying to get back east, it's gonna have to be rail, and here's your spot. It's the only place in the whole Mississippi. So the railroad is gonna run between Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Chicago. And once you're in Chicago, I mean, come on, you're on Lake Erie or Lake Lake Michigan, is that one? You got the Great Lakes. Listen, it's going to be easy. Everything's happy once you're at Chicago. So now Minneapolis-St. Paul becomes an important train hub. And the Great Northern Railway is actually completed in 1893, so just before the turn of the century. uh, And that extends all the way to Seattle. Yay! Yeah, there you go. And now we're on a T because you've got this really important railroad that crosses, goes Seattle to Chicago with Minneapolis right there, and then the river goes north-south. So now from the Twin Cities, we can go anywhere. So 
finally what we come around to is a really classic example of a pattern we see in city development. When you overlay geography, economics, and sometimes military, uh, the grids actually form a node and you see that great cities tend to develop in areas where there's good reason for all those things. So geography, we have the falls and the river already forming really important stuff. Sure. Economics, you've got grain coming in and the railway coming across. Right. And military was, well, the military was the one who kind of showed up and settled it because someone had to. Sometimes it's religious. Yeah, it's not always. You're right. Just saying. Economics, you know, it gets hazy, but this is sort of a generalized pattern. Okay. So this is a good place for us to break. We're remembering that we've got this uh, river coming down and then geography, economics, and military, grain, railways, uh, the Empire Builder Line, Scott F. Anfinson, Pig's Eye Parant, and it's the Doom of Hill podcast, and we'll be right back. And right on track. And right on track. Goodness. Act three, the place, the people, or we'll have to stop somewhere. Might as well be here. I like those. It's like those old uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoons where they always give two titles. Yeah. <laughs> so talking about the people and sort of the sense of place here. The Stadtgeist. That's an officially deprecated term, maybe. I don't know. But we're at this T. Railway, river, forming a T. And on the right side of the T, of the vertical line, is St. Paul, which uh, is often referred to as the last city of the East, especially historically. And then on the left side of the T, we have Minneapolis, which historically is called the first city of the West. Makes sense to me. Sure, me too. So we see this really just embodied in both cities. You see it architecturally. Minneapolis, we'll push some pictures on the blog. Minneapolis has all these sleek skyscrapers, big glass facades. It looks very, very modern. And St. Paul is full of these sort of low European style buildings, um, much more in line with its name and all that. We also see it culturally. They, they actually say, working class St. Paul, big time Minneapolis. <laughs> I like that they call it big time. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you're such an elitist. I'm sorry. It's so old-timey. Uh, 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 it's uh, fun. Uh, yeah. Uh, really importantly, we see it in settling patterns. We see this sort of last city east, first city of the west. Because it's just kind of a good stopping point. If Catherine, if you were in the east, say, say you lived in uh, uh, Cleveland. And you were right. like, ugh, I gotta, I gotta just, I gotta get out of here. I want to I want to move west, kind of go see someplace a little more fancy. Right, because I live in Cleveland. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you're gonna go west, and you don't want to go so far that you have to like be a cowboy or sort of live off the land or whatever. But you want to get out there. Where are you gonna stop? Sounds like Minneapolis. Exactly. So are you saying that people who settle in Minneapolis historically were lazy? <laughs> Is that what you're saying, Tim? I pass no judgments. Um, <laughs> it times out right, though, because as Minneapolis and St. Paul were being developed, this was also a time when a lot of Germans and Irish were coming over. And you're saying Germans and Irish are lazy. You're saying that. I don't know why, but you are. <laughs> why are you so calling So a lot Germans of Germans and Irish lazy? are coming in, and they settle in St. Paul, and they sort of build that up, certainly. 
Uh, New Yorkers and New Englanders also would move west, and that's much more prevalent in St. Paul because, well, they're homesick for the east, stupid east coasters, and, uh, well, the last city east, it just sort of makes sense. They've got more conservative values, etc., etc. Scandinavians, more prevalent in Minneapolis. I'm not totally sure why on that one, but they are. Uh, it's weird the the census really peaks for Scandinavians in Minneapolis, but yeah. nowhere near as high in St. Paul. What's, like, not, not anywhere near as high. What's up with that? Well, again, I think it's the people coming over late 1800s, early 1900s. And, you know, so that's when Scandinavians would be immigrating to the U.S., uh, so that makes sense because it's just sort of a good stopping point because there's still, you know, it's still a new world, a lot of, not a new land. It's not heavily settled like a New York or a Boston or it whatever. It sounds like it was a fad. Maybe. I don't to know. To settle in Minneapolis more than anything. We'll, we'll swirl back around, but I think it's sort of a fad, uh, these days too. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those, it's a number two cool place for hip young professionals, so. So, all right, so we've already got all these people who come over and historically settle. It's already sort of a hodgepodge. But um, the city's notability as a place for new immigrants to come is actually seen today, too. Uh, we have a bunch of people in the 1990s who come in. The, uh, the Hmong from Southeast Asia, a lot of them were uh, came in as refugees and moved there. Um, North Africans actually have also settled there, including Ethiopians, Somalians, and uh, Eritreans. So this is actually, the, the North African population is extremely noticeable because all these affordable housing projects that have gone in uh, as urban projects plus the sort of just general desire that cultures have to live together, generate a really, really intense Somali neighborhood just east of downtown, which is actually where I stayed when I was there for a week for a conference. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I read somewhere that it's one of the mo most dense Somali neighborhoods like outside of Somalia. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. It is cool. So, so we've got all these things coming together. We have the original hodgepodge just when it was settled of Europeans from all over, people from the East Coast, blah, blah, blah. And then also just, you know, Southeast Asians, North Africans. Um, and it's on this T, which just sort of makes it a big hub as it is. So, of course, the city is progressive. We tend to think that, oh, it's the Midwest, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's you know, it's backwards or whatever, because we are terrible coastal people. But it makes total sense, right? Sure. This is the city that, in the 50s and 60s, raised 200 buildings. They just knocked them down across 25 city blocks because they're like, nah, we need to do more urban renewal. They knocked down 25 city blocks. <laughs> Some city blocks in Minneapolis have been demolished six or seven times since the mid-19th century. They just keep knocking them down because they're like, more city, uh, we got to fix this, it's got to be better. I mean, this is progressive. In February 2011, Advocate.com called it the gayest city in America. How do you need that for progressiveness? Yeah. Um, I, I was going to say on the urban renewal thing, I think I heard about a project. I was talking to, I don't know, some sort of computer guy. And he was part of a project that took all of the different, uh, I guess, what would you call them? Like textures, you would say? Or paneling or types of bricks that like all of the downtown Minneapolis had. Like throughout the past hundred years. And essentially, like, makes an archive so you can see what the buildings look like. Like, essentially, you take a slider and you drag the slider along and you see what downtown looked like across the past oh, hundred years. That's super cool. We'll have yeah. to post a link to that. I, I don't know if I can find it, but if I can, if, absolutely. If can. And so, just, just the final point and a smooth way to segue into our next act is... Uh, like all sort of progressive liberal cities, 
think. It, it's culture-oriented. It's got a lot of culture that has sprang up because there are people who want to go see culture and there are people who want to generate culture. But let's jump into Act 4 if you're ready. Act 4. Out and about in MSP. That's Minneapolis-St. Paul, for those of you not in the know. Also, it's the airport code. So, once again, Catherine, I think we should take a trip to the city. Oh, boy. That's how we get involved. <laughs> I, th- I, I would want to take the subway. You know me. I like trains. But there's no subway here. That's terrible. I know. It's the worst. The worst. <laughs> Screw this. I'm going back to Seattle. <laughs> But the thing that's kind of funny about Minneapolis-St. Paul is that it's got all these caves already. Like, it really does. And the soft stone it's on, it actually would be a... I think probably creating a subway is an incredibly involved, expensive project. But if you're going to put it somewhere, Minneapolis-St. Paul probably wouldn't be too hard. I don't know about getting under the river, but... Come on! Maybe because the rock is so erosive, like, they can't sustain the tunnel for that long? Maybe. I don't know. That is very far away from things I understand. <laughs> and me too. Let's stop yeah. talking about it. <laughs> Moving on. Let's get on the bus. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Glad you're ready. Uh, theater. Let's take the bus to the theater. They got a lot of theaters here. Like, but right? which theater? That's the question. Really? We have a big, uh, a lot of options, right? Yeah. It's uh, actually the second largest live theater per capita. I mean, obviously New York's going to be first, but still, that's pretty impressive. That's really crazy, actually. And, I mean, it's just home to tons of reputable theater troops. It's it's just completely off the charts. I mean, my favorite is a puppet-based theater troupe called In the Heart of the Beast Puppet and Mask Theater, which I just thought was a great name. Do you have to read it? Do you read it like, In the Heart of the Beast? Puppet and Mask Theater! <laughs> we should call them, see if we can do, like, some ads for them or something. I, yeah, let's do that. The Doom to Fail podcast... it's it's not the best marketing name let's uh, let's use some of our political capital here (laughs) do you want to change the name of the podcast in the heart of the beast that'd be pretty good oh yeah that would be good but it would also make us seem just so much more intense than we actually are (laughs) what are you talking about i listen to heavy metal every time we do this do you uh no okay (laughs) moving on yeah, so they also have the Minnesota Fringe Festival, which is the U.S.'s largest non-juried performing arts festival. Which, again, it's like, huh, so there's all these performing artists who go to Minneapolis all the time. I just picture everyone in L.A. all the time, L.A. and New York. No, I mean, it sounds like it's supposed to be uh, for the general public, you know, the Minnesota Fringe Festival. Like, hmm. for the general, because, I say that because it's non-juried. So, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the probably the largest juried ones would probably be in New York or maybe L.A. But, I mean, like, for non-juried, it sounds like they're trying to get everybody interested in theater. Which is so cool! Yeah, no, that's great. I totally there you are. It's that. lack of Midwest pretensions, you know? Definitely. Or, no, wait, lack of pretensions because they're in the... It's a Midwest lack of pretensions. Ah, yes, okay. Modifiers in the correct order. And we're good. Oh, man. I don't want to forget because uh, I I have a real connection to a Prairie Home Companion. American Public Media is based in Minneapolis, so that's where Prairie Home Companion comes from. Uh, Marketplace is brought to us by American Public Media as well as the Freakonomics Radio podcast. Oh, okay. um, 
And I I also know a, a couple other things, but I am not positive what they are. But I really like a Prairie Home Companion. It's right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> uh, I am exhausted by all of this talk. I think we should get some coffee. Where do you want to go? I thought you were actually exhausted by all this talk for a second. I am! <laughs> Don't break the fourth wall! Jeez! <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, exhausted, Tim. Um... <laughs> Well, I want. Let me tell you where we can go first. Jeez. Please do. I'm not. Otherwise, we're just gonna end up at crappy old Starbucks. And I mean, there's a Starbucks every two steps in Seattle. So I want to go somewhere. Different. Seattle. Did Seattle. you know I live in Seattle? Seattle. <laughs> um, anyway, there's a lot of really interesting local options we could go instead. And I mean, people in Minneapolis really love their local options. I mean, any day of the week, they'd love to go to one of their local places like Caribou. Caribou, Excuse Caribou me. would be pretty good too, right? That, that was a real loss on their part. Um, the other option that we could go to is Dunn Brothers, which I keep thinking is like a Dunkin' Donuts. Is that true? You've actually been there. No, uh, actually. Well, let's see. I'm trying to think of the Dunn Brothers I've been to. No, it didn't strike me. It struck me also kind of like a, a Caribou. Um, or Starbucks. Uh, in that vein. I mean, it's it's definitely different. They all have their own sort of attitude. Dunn Brothers definitely does seem like it's, uh... Like, Caribou seems more likely to have a ad that says, Indulge Yourself somewhere on it. Okay. Um, whereas Dunn Brothers would be more like, Hey, we've got good coffee. Or, you know, whatever. Sure. Do you need a latte? I'll give you a latte. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, uh... Yeah, so I, I was in Minneapolis for a conference, and after I went there, I was looking back at my credit card statement, and uh, I had 40 charges to Dunn Brothers. And I was like, oh, well, this is obviously credit card fraud or something. I did not go to Dunn Brothers so often. And then I remembered that I did, <laughs> because there was a Dunn Brothers in the convention center. My gosh. And it was really good. Your and life so, is, an M. Night Shyam- is an M. Night Shyamalan movie. There was, was a the twist. twist. <laughs> I it did. was the lamest twist. Oh, wait, it wasn't. Oops. <laughs> I think I lost my cell phone. Oh, wait, it was in my pocket. <laughs> doom, doom. <laughs> I am so cold out here on this street. And we've been talking about this hot coffee, and we don't have any. So how, how many more blocks do you think we have to go? I mean, Oh, my God, at least like six or seven or eight. It's crazy. <sighs> Okay, let's I, I let's just get on the skywalk. Okay. What's the skywalk you say? <laughs> What's the skywalk, Tim? <laughs> Downtown Minneapolis is really unique in that it has this elevated skywalk, which is sort of a series of elevated bridges that go over the streets, and they're they're indoor. Right. And then they cut through the buildings as well through these sort of. Uh, weird linear malls yeah. going through the building. So it's just there's every building on its like second floor will have a pathway that the skywalk takes. And yeah. then throughout uh, on either side of the skywalk will be like, you know, little shops, stuff you'd see in a mall. Um, and uh, or, or stuff you'd see, really, it's more like stuff you'd see at a train station or an airport. I think that's um, so cool. Yeah, it's really, really strange being up there. Because normally it really is. It's it's like a commuting center because so many people will, say, drive in from the suburbs or something to go to work. They'll park in a garage and then they'll walk the rest of the way through the skywalk because it's really cold in the winter and windy. And who needs that? And so it acts exactly like it's sort of a transit commuting center. But there's no thing. It's like if you took all the trains out of Grand Central Station 
and you just were walking around going like, eh, I guess I can go to Jamba Juice. But I think the oddest thing about it for me is it leads to these weird like public slash private spaces because somebody owns all those buildings, but anybody is allowed on this skywalk because it's basically just transit. So I, I went up there when I was there because I got to get on the skywalk. That's sure. really interesting. And I had to get off of it. And it was it was late at night and it was cold, which is why I was up there. And uh, I tried to get off and I sort of stumbled into the atrium of this closed building. And it was all dark down there. I thought it was outside at first. And then I was like, oh, wait, I'm just in some weird atrium. Okay, well, there's a door. That looks like it'll leave. It had like the exit sign blowing up. And I step out of that. And it did not go to the street. It went to some weird club lounge with, like, thumping music. And it, it was, like, the kind of place where, like, I don't know, it feels like it's from, like, a sci-fi movie or something. Like, <gasps> a girl's going to walk by with pink hair. What? And, just, <laughs> and you're not really sure where you are. Well, you could have come. Come on. It's a cool place. Minneapolis. Save all. But, like, I, all I was doing was trying to get home. Like... And I'm like, suddenly, in, in like, there's like, I don't know, man. It was super weird. That is weird. The, the, the crazy thing is that there's seven miles worth of this thing. There's seven miles worth of interconnected Skywalk. That makes me wonder, is there like a homeless problem within the Skywalk? Because, I mean, it's warmer than outside, right? I saw no one up there, but it makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. But no, I did not see that Interesting. at all. I wonder how they handle that. I think they have security. I think they do kind of okay. treat it like it's a mall. Okay. So, now that we've gotten our coffee and I've had a lovely evening with you out in the out in the town. Yes. Uh, how do how do we get back? I guess you take a well, bus. It's just it's really late. I mean, we got lost in the Skywalk for a good eight or nine hours, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> I think we should probably take the last bus home. Okay. Well, this is. What's really cool about Minneapolis St. Paul, another another link with Seattle actually is buses run really, really late. A lot of places buses stop at twelve midnight or something like that. But really? the buses go real late, uh, in, in Minneapolis. And they actually have uh, the last bus of the night is around three AM and they call it the drunk bus because guess who's taking the drunk bus is yeah. people who've been drinking and really need to get home. I think that uh, about brings us back around to the end. What do you think of Minneapolis now that we, we've sort of talked about it a little? Would you visit? Uh, yeah, I would visit. Yeah? Go see In the Heart of the Beast. Confident <laughs> Mask Theater. Pretty cool. Yeah, I I was there in October, and I hear it's amazing in the summer, so I would love to go in the summer. It's like most places, it seems, that are unbearably cold in the winter are just beautiful in the summer. Well, in Seattle, yeah, I'm not going to say You ever watch the Magic School Bus? Yes. At my yeah. old school. Yeah. <laughs> You're that girl. I'm Phoebe. Was that Phoebe? Don't yeah. worry. I'm Carlos. I make all the Carlos bad jokes. Carlos is a jerk. Was he? I feel like he was just, he just made terrible puns. Like I that think, was his yeah, thing. Carlos was a jerk. And in addition to terrible puns, that was integral to his jerk too. <laughs> okay, well, uh... I guess I'll just leave it here with, uh, well, I guess we know that Minneapolis is not so many after all. Carlos! Get the hell off this bus! <laughs> Alright, kids, we are going to see you next week when we bring you a brand new episode of the Doom to Fail podcast, specifically our series on unique instruments. Who's excited? I'm excited.
I'm very excited. Hope you had a good time. Hope you learned a lot about the Twin Cities. And we're going to post a lot of cool stuff on the, uh, on the blog because there's a lot of stuff here. And uh, we'll talk to you next time on the Doom to Fail podcast. Bye. Oh. Uh, oh. Not bye. That's Catherine Kogan over there. Oh, and that's Tim Dobbs over here. Hey. Bye. 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 This episode of the Doom to Fail podcast featured music by Continental, spelled just how it sounds. For more episodes of the Doom to Fail podcast, go to doomtofailpodcast.blogspot.com. You can also subscribe to us going there. If you want to make me happy, you can like us on Facebook or add us on Google Plus or follow us on Twitter. The list goes on and we'll be seeing you soon regardless. Bye-bye.